Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe Ronald is back on the road, back off the show. Um, didn't even hit the group chat this morning, kept it ambiguous. I think he's uh, he's resting up for his big Super Bowl tweet. Um, he's got to got to get that Super Bowl Sunday tweet composed and and ready to go. Um, that'll probably be the next time we hear from him, but it's just you and me today, man. And I know that something I need in my life, uh, especially today, because today sucks, um, is some, (laughs) is some Bible and some audio Bible. And thankfully we have a resource for that pipe. Tell them about dwell Bible. Yeah, listeners. So Dwell Bible is our favorite audio Bible app. As far as I'm aware, it's the best one out there. You know, come back at me if you know of something better. I just was having a conversation <laughs> with two, two of the guys I work with. And uh, one, of them, one of them serves on our worship team. The other one's one of our tech guys. And the tech guy was just like, hey, guys, I, you guys, you guys kind of know the, the, the Bible and the, the audio realm. What's the best audio he wanted just an audio bible like to download a book and i was like you need to check out dwell and the other guy was like yes absolutely i use dwell every day when i go running i love the kind of musical underlay that they have because it kind of gives just a nice rhythmic it kind of gets you in the focused zone of listening so just sort of proof in the pudding of, of how people use this this guy's a this guy just ran the Nashville Marathon not too long ago. So he's a he spends a lot of time running. Dwell is his regular companion on that. Um, so that's a way it can be used. He mentioned the music. There's multiple ways you can kind of embed that. He even talked about... So he was kind of doing my sales pitch for me, which was great. As He, he was like, he, he liked the playlists where there's yeah. lists of kind of thematic readings or you know, the sermons of Jesus or the promises or the benedictions of Paul or these different things. So all of that is built in basically allowing you to come to scripture for what you need, as well as, I mean, there's, there's whole listening plans to get through the Bible in a year or six months or whatever. Um, all of that is built in. If you go to dwell app, dot io slash happy rant you'll see the discounts they offer to our listeners it is a 30 percent discount off the lifetime subscription a 10 percent discount off the annual subscription um you may initially kind of balk at the cost it's totally worth it and this is not a static thing they, they continue to upgrade they continue to build out features and lists and narrators and bible versions and giving more and more ways to get scripture into your life uh afresh so Again, dwellapp.io slash happy rant. I uh, encourage you to check that out today. I was listening to it earlier this week, getting ready to to preach at another church, just kind of chewing over the text, playing it on repeat to to just kind of absorb it. It's a great way to do that. So go check it out today. It's totally worth it. Dude, I do that too. Um, when I speak, I always listen to the, the passage on dwell for several days leading up. Yeah, absolutely love dwell. Um, great people to work with, great product. Um, but speaking of things that suck, like my day, um, let's talk about the David Brooks piece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> controversial. Um, oh, it, dude, you, you've uh, just started us off like some, <laughs> you just, you just kicked someone's dog is what you just did. I did. Dude, I kicked someone's dog named David Brooks probably because there's a certain kind of Christian that has a love affair with the idea of David Brooks. Um, the idea of a person like David Brooks and what happened was I read this story 
I have to tell you how I like experienced this story and see if you get a kick out of that. And then we can talk about less about the story itself and more about this type of piece, which I think is probably getting written every 10 to 12 years and usually getting it wrong. Um, but people seem to love this kind of piece. Anyway, uh, I thought that a friend of mine was going to be taking like the big hero shot of Russ Moore. And if you've seen the piece, you know that like the people that got the big hero treatment in it, they also got like an attendant, like superhero shot, like a glamour shot, kind of shot from below with, with them sort of, you know, throwing their shoulders back and staring pensively off into the distance and it was amazing, you know, just as hero shots go. But my my buddy ended up not shooting the story, but I ended up reading the story because I thought he was gonna. And I read it. And so I you, thought you it read was... it for the pictures. That's that's where we're at. <laughs> Cla- yeah, classic. That's on brand for me. Um, I read it and I thought it was bad. I thought it was just a bad example of a feature. I mean, I think David Brooks is a good column writer. Like he's he's good when it's his voice. Um, but this seemed to be kind of a machine gun. Every quote unquote evangelical who's ever published a book and who's ever also said they don't like Trump just got the hero treatment in this piece. So, uh, it was just kind of a machine gun feature with a whole bunch of things mashed together. And I finished it and I was, I had a weird response because you know, I'm pathologically Midwestern and I avoid conflict at all costs. But I was basically like, I have to fight with somebody about this, and <laughs> which is which is a thing that I want to hear you on because I oh, feel like you have that, and you, you don't even have Twitter to go to for this. So I texted my friend, my best friend, um, who I know likes David Brooks, and I, so you're, I dropped you're in Jared, a, you're Jared C. Wilson, dude. Yes, and so I dropped in this link, and I love my best friend, uh, obviously. And I kind of like David Brooks. I mean, I, I'm not a fan, but I'm not like, you know, immediately uh, against everything he has to say. Anyway, I dropped in the link and I was like, hey, did you read this? You know, and then being that both of us are pathologically Midwestern, we proceeded for the rest of the day to go back and forth, like equal parts trying not to offend each other, but also trying desperately to have the last word. <laughs> and... Um, that's finally so just, exhausting. Maybe that's why you're having a worst. bad day today. It's like residual effects of that. I think so. I think I'm, I'm like, I have rhetorical hangover from, from that experience, but, um, respond to any of that pipe. So I did not read the piece. Uh, I more saw people fighting about it, which is usually a yeah. thing that makes me not want to read something. I'm like, oh, everybody's... That's a good ma- impulse. You yeah. know, you, you kind of look at the crowd who's praising it. You look at the crowd who's hating it. You look at the interactions and you go, I think yeah. I know everything I need to know emotionally, not necessarily factually, but to go, this is, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to avoid this, uh, this mm-hmm. S storm, if you will. And yeah, uh, yeah so... Like you, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I lean positive towards David Brooks. Like he's, he's not a must read for me. I don't go out of my way to read him. He has yeah. written some stuff. He, he is a consistently thoughtful voice, which I appreciate. Yeah. You know, he's, he hasn't sort of, he doesn't just fall into tropes, generally speaking, yeah. which yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter kind of where you fall on the political or theological spectrum. If you are persistently thoughtful, I appreciate you. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, but my understanding is it was an article basically like the there is a group of sort of evangelical dissidents, those who are not falling into yeah. the the political evangelical definition, but trying to trying to redeem evangelicalism, if you will, mm-hmm. out of the political and into. Although it's funny because except so it was totally political. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like at least out of the out of the political, like we are leashed yeah. to a political party kind of thing. Um, yeah. All of this is a bit odd to talk about on the podcast because we tend to eschew politics for as we should but so I, many I obvious think... reasons. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I read I read it and it's I didn't. It's not the kind of thing that would stir me up to want to fight with somebody because mm-hmm. because that's what's been happening for the last six years. I know. You know, it's since the, the 2016 worst. presidential election, like what have we been doing except fighting about the term evangelicalism? Who I who know. are evangelicals bowing the knee to? Who's leaving evangelicalism? I it's not that I don't care, it's that I can't care. It has yeah, been it has been beaten out of me. I've lost care. That's well said. And I tried caring for a day, and it was awful. <laughs> like it it was really awful. It was a terrible experience. And for people who like care on a regular basis, I don't know. I don't know where they find the energy. Um, it's it's a lot to it's a lot well, to carry around. Yeah, and um, I just yeah, and, and we've talked. I mean, I think the last episode we did, we talked about um, kind of the how how Twitter and social media reinforces misery by telling you how miserable you should be. I feel like in this yeah. case, it reinforces anger by telling you how upset you should be or how loyal you should be instead yeah. of just. I I think I'm at my kind of political most level headed when I can take a step back and go, what are the things that I value? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And you kind of start to lay them out and where does the gospel fit or not fit in those things? Cause that's really the dick, the dictator of, are they good? Are they bad? Are they, are they just societal neutrals? Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And pieces like this are their accidental hero worship yeah, or maybe maybe not accidental, but the idea yeah. of like we are staking our hopes on this, and I don't care, and I don't think it's necessary, yeah. and I'm not staking my hopes on the and campaign. Although I think what they're doing is excellent, I think it matters. I'm not staking mm-hmm. my hopes on Russell Moore, although I consider him a friend and he's a great man, and I don't think he would want me to stake my hopes on him. So all of this is it, if it could have been written in a way that was like these people are doing some good work. And they're worthy yeah. of your consideration. The problem is that doesn't, unless you make a really strong statement, the piece doesn't move. Nobody cares about yeah. kind of nods towards something. Yeah. I, I think there were, there were elements of it that really surprised me. Um, one of which was like the way that the New York Times in a lot of people's minds is still a big status conferral engine. You know, like people were really like blown away by the New York times element of this and like, wow, the times gave two whole pages to evangelicals. And I'm like, the times is just a place where a certain type of person goes to get their values reassured and be entertained. And in that it is like every other media outlet that there is right now. The Um, times is a business. They make their money from getting people to read what they put out. And if that's from stirring up evangelicals or ex-vangelicals or non-vangelicals or van-vangelicals or whatever, (laughs) like, yeah, they're the, the, the powers that be, 
And I'm not saying this is David Brooks' intention, although I'm sure that, yeah. I mean, you and I both know this, having done a fair amount of internet writing, the thought of yeah. clicks cannot be escaped. Sure. We yeah. never write with entirely mm-hmm. pure awareness. Yeah. But the powers that be run that piece. They give it that space because they're like, oh, this is going to work. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? And it and it did work. And I had a friend explain it to me kind of like this. And I thought this was really good as a way to to think about David Brooks. The my friend was like, I often like the the diagnoses, right? So I I, I like the way he sees the landscape and diagnoses it sometimes, yep. but I'm I'm not taking the prescription. <laughs> you know, because like in a way, why would I listen to this guy? This guy doesn't probably even love the lord um well, i think you know we i maybe oh maybe i'm thinking of ross douthit because i get the two confused uh because yeah. they're both conservatives in a public space and you know right. those guys all run together um yeah ross i think ross douthit is a is a committed catholic so mm-hmm. actively living out a, a, a you know practicing catholic actively living out a, a his Catholic faith. I thought Brooks yeah. might be as well, but he might just be more of a kind of moral, you know, have sort of a Judeo Christian moral ethic, but not, yeah. not be explicitly Christian. Yeah. I mean, I think he's definitely interested in morals. Um, and he's definitely interested. It seems to be in what always ends up being like his version of morality. Um, which is why I thought the piece it struck me as a little lazy. And again, we're not getting into politics here, but it was, it seemed like kind of a one metric piece. You know what I mean? Like uh, we wouldn't evaluate all quarterbacks just on hand size. And if a guy has gigantic hands, that means he's going to be amazing. Um, but this was like a one metric piece. Um, like if you dislike Trump, you're getting the hero treatment. And it doesn't matter what you think about a whole boatload of other things. Um, and there are people in there that I really respect. There are people in there that I don't respect at all. And then there are a bunch of people in between. But it was a, it was a really big roster. You know, it was it was strange in that way. Um, and I I think the thing that really occurred to me though is how saleable this kind of piece always is, because I guarantee you, fifteen years ago somebody was writing the same piece probably also in the times and maybe it was david brooks about you know uh rob bell and brian mclaren and doug paget and mark driscoll and you know dan kimball like these guys are going to save evangelicalism and it's like yeah how'd that work out you know not not great yeah i as well I, there's so many layers to this that, uh, yeah the the saving Christendom. Let's let's move it out of evangelicalism because that's a term. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. We, we, I don't know if you and I agree on what it means because I'm not sure that either of us know anymore. Uh, I have so no it's, idea. It's, you know, yeah. it's it's sort of like it's just talking about like gobbledygook. Who okay, term is what, like what are we arguing about? It's like empathy, which <laughs> used to mean the something. actual meaning. The actual meaning of empathy is just you agree with me, and the actual meaning of gaslighting is you disagree with me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, this is what these things mean. But and okay, so saying? but let's let's just move it into like Christendom. So yeah, the yeah. saving of Christ, because that's really what we're talking about here. Um, we're not talking about saving 
or he, hero, you know, kind of the hero worship of people who are saving a version of Christianity. Like we're talking about mm-hmm. this idea of like these people are saving conservative Christianity, Bible believing Christianity, whatever. Um, I I'm never interested in the who's going to save this thing. I'm interested in mm-hmm. who's saying things that are worthy of listening to. So I mentioned the and campaign. I think they are absolutely worthy of respect and attention, and they're not saving anything. You know, they are they're a, they're a cog in God's machine of 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 kingdom movement. And you know, I think the same for Russell Moore, and I think I think Russell Moore thinks the same for Russell Moore. Like he's he's trying to faithfully do his little piece. And mm-hmm. um yeah, so the when I was I was having a conversation with a guy recently. We were talking about how much Americans love narrative. And I mean maybe that's mm-hmm. I think it's just Americans. We love narrative. Yeah. And so we talk about we like a piece like this paints a narrative of you know this is these are these are the key things in saving this evangelicalism or Christendom or whatever and and what I, the, the realization that I had in that conversation was the best narratives we have ever read, be it the the storyline of the Bible or the Lord of the Rings or you know the East of Eden, the greatest novels, have so many plot lines happening at once. Mm-hmm. And the characters are not aware of them. Mm-hmm. Like the characters don't yeah. know what's happening in their own plot line. They're just they're they think they're running things, and then there's something bigger going on. They think they're making a decision that's going to have this effect, and it's part of this huge sweeping thing. Well, that's this right. story. It yeah. is an observation of a tiny plot line in this great big whatever's going on, and so it says we're going to save this. And in reality, it's like you're just one thread of one plot line in a narrative that's beyond all of this and so i just it's not hard for me to shrug at this stuff and go yeah yeah i give it five years you know yeah then we'll have a keener sense of what impact this played or maybe we won't maybe we maybe maybe all this will fizzle maybe maybe we won't ever totally understand it just getting hung up on it emotionally feels fruitless to me yeah that's a hundred percent correct and yeah I, i it occurs to me that if we like if we're really paying attention to a lot of scripture it's pretty apparent that we're not really going to have a brand that makes it you know like <laughs> um <laughs> and and yet we continue to be hung up on on this brand making it and uh i don't know maybe i'm just the pessimist pessimist in that regard but um i could probably do with a little bit more optimism um, but anyway, it was a, it, 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 it was a classic like 2022 feature in that it really existed for like a day and a half. Um, and then it was gone, you know, like yeah. completely gone. Completely it is a forgotten. huge deal until we all forget about it on Wednesday. Yeah. It's a little annoying that I'm bringing it up. You know, um, that's, that's like when people hear this, they'll be like, oh, I've already dealt with that three weeks ago yeah by the time Um, this comes out nobody will remember that the piece existed which which i think is evidence that it's worth it to not get that hung up on it you know yeah i I mean the flip side of that is that there there are often things that are well worth consideration that we also forget about either horrible things that happen that we forget about or things that are thought-provoking and encouraging and we forget about those too you know, yeah. that's just the, the speed of our, I would say processing, but it's more just the speed of our, you know, amnesia. Um, yeah. Well, and I think there's a real, 
I'm I'm reading the pastoral epistles right now to prep for a speaking thing next summer. And there's so much space in those given to false teachers. So we are supposed to grapple with issues of what's true and what's not true and who are we platforming and who are we listening to and how do we how do we diagnose how do we combat like there's a lot said about that so we do have to take that seriously and i think like my kind of 90s ironic detachment kicks in to like such a degree that i need to remind myself like no you need I, like i need to care if only so that i can help my kids understand it better or whatever um but i yeah, don't but- need to fight about it you know. Yes, because caring about it, caring about it means honestly the way to care about it is to care about the truth. You yeah, know, that's maintain right. a hold on the truth, the truth as yeah. defined, you know, by scripture in terms of how do we faithfully live out a Christian conviction? Because mm-hmm. if you're caring about it by trying to uh be aware of or respond to every false teacher, every perceived false teacher, the faults in teaching, whatever, you're just playing political and theological whack-a-mole, and it's the game that never ends. Like, you never win. Right. They never, they never right. like, the time limit doesn't come to an end, and you don't get the big stuffed animal at the end. Like, you just are perpetually smacking away at things, trying to, trying to solve them. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, everybody who's hanging out with you is bored. Like, <laughs> they're disinterested. Yeah. You're not helping anybody. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I just... I, so, I mean, that piece feels like I'm sure there was some beneficial contributions. It's beneficial to highlight good work that people are doing and so forth. Yeah. Um, getting huck, hung up on it on either side feels like mm-hmm. political theological whack-a-mole to me, you know? And yeah. Now there are, I think, I think as, as you know, you're, you're responsible to some degree for influencing and discipling college students. I mm-hmm. am responsible for the people in my church. Yeah. I think we need to be aware of trends, but yeah. not yeah, but not every single instance. Hey, did you read this book? Did you hear about this? Like, we need to be aware of the divisive trends. I think that's right. probably our level of of responding to yeah. false teaching, but not yeah, not like dude. I'll say this: shoot down every and I, piece. I want to get your take on it because you you work with young people in a church setting. I work with young people in a school setting. The New York Times is the moon to my students. Like <laughs> they did not see this piece. They're not on Twitter. They're not reading people who are angry about the piece. Like, yeah. I didn't bring it up in the classroom. Like, they're they're not interacting with it in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, which which begs the question: What is their New York Times TikTok? Um, yeah, I, I mean, and, and I'm I'm not saying that ironically. Like, no, 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 kids no. are so into the TikTok. Yeah, no, like, I'm really asking. Yeah, it's that that world of social media um i don't want to say influencers because that's that's a whole other kind of thing but like social media pundits let's say yeah is is there's a reason why i mean i think this came up on the show several months ago so uh there's a reason why my brother has over a million tiktok followers for 60 second videos some of which are you know theological kind of takedowns of well i shouldn't say theological they're kind of anti-theological he's He's pretty right. um, agnostic. Some of them are political. And then a lot of it is just like clever wordplay, grammar. Like he's a smart, funny yeah. dude. And uh, yeah. he doesn't have a million – like the million people who are following him <clears throat> are pr- probably not overlapping much in the Venn diagram of New York Times readers. 
Those people yeah. are the ones who are arguing on Twitter about the roles of women in the church and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the TikTok crowd is a different place. So it's it's the deconstruction crowd. And I again, I don't say that tongue in cheek. Like it is a genuine. There is a a subset of a generation who is weighing right now: is the church worth sticking with? Yeah, and they're getting their information from places like TikTok, or hopefully from genuine relationships. But yeah, I right. think I think it's that. I think if if you were going to make the divide, it'd be like it, that. That would kind of be the the. If you were going to label them, I, I'd do it that way. Yeah. No, that's helpful. That's I mean, really you, interesting. YouTube as well. We talked about yeah. this as well. The how out of touch we feel with uh, with the generation below us or gen, yeah. two generations below us, whatever it is. Where like if you say who's the most popular YouTuber, I genuinely couldn't name one. They know who it yeah. is off the top of their head. Well, we're playing different yeah. ball games right now. Yeah, that's very true. Um, let, let me ask you this, kind of as a bridge to our our other topic, which I thought was really interesting. Do you think young people right now are more or less quote unquote passionate about things than we were at, at like in the nineties? Um, because something you said, I thought everybody in the nineties was dispassionate. That's, that's the thing. That's what I was getting at. Um, we were dispassionate. We were kind of faux deep. Like we wanted credit for being deep, but we would we didn't want to do the work, you know. And I don't know. I I think today's generation sort of wants to be. They want to take the credit for being passionate, but they don't want to do the work either. Um, which is maybe two sides of the same coin. I don't know. Um, what are you seeing out there? Well, I think yeah, it's an interesting mix because I I think what you're describe I think what you're seeing is like. The the disaffected dispassion of a Gen X person. So, like my brother's a good example. He's a, I mean he's yeah. just a, a died in the wool Gen Xer. Um, yeah. yeah, and that influence on young people. So young people, I think, are very passionate. I man, I do I sound old? Young people I say college. Yeah, I know people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, are I think they are really passionate. They're yes. asking really pointed questions. They're really exploring meaning and truth and purpose and direction. And they're really figuring, they're trying to figure out authenticity. Who can be trusted? Who can't be trusted? Is the church worthy of mm-hmm. trust? Are political parties mm-hmm. worthy of trust? And so forth. Like they're kind of, because they've now been handed the keys to adulthood, they have to make these decisions. They were raised in a, in a you know, staunchly Republican home or whatever and they're kind of like is this is this my direction or is this the direction i was handed and uh-huh. when they get the gen x influence those questions are answered with a lack of answers because the disaffected gen x thing is like man none of it matters or you yeah. can't trust any of that or yeah. that's all bs and as yeah. opposed to a kind of all right well let's let's walk through this and find out what the truth is you know, there's a reason why during the 90s and the rise of kind of the, the Gen X mindset, like postmodernism, the idea of like a, or being in a post-truth society came yeah. to fashion because it was so much right. easier to just shrug and be like, man, nobody knows. Yeah, and, exactly. Or nothing, nothing means anything. And I don't think that's the way that current 20, you know, 18 to 20 year olds think. But those are the no. people who are mostly giving them answers as far as I can tell. 18 to 20 year olds, they kind of, 
depending on who they're trying to impress, they know they know what they're supposed to think. Um, I don't know if they know what they do think, but they know what they're supposed to think. They're being fed the right answers all the time. And, you know, you see them on either side of the aisle kind of regurgitating the right answers. Um, but I don't know if they're any more or less passionate than we were. I think something that I see is that I, and we're getting a little far afield here. I don't see them really being into anything. Like I remember in the nineties, everything that I was into was stupid, but I was really into it and I could talk about it at length, you know, like, um, like I could go 20 minutes on Pearl jam or, you know, uh, why I liked a certain football team or, you know, why I think, uh, I don't know, radio stations are cool or whatever. Like I, I could, I could do a lot of content on things that I was into and I was always into something. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure I see that anymore. You know, how much um, of that is because of, again, I mean, we were talking about how fast news goes by or like controversial posts or whatever. The same is true for like musicians, you know, like Pearl yeah. Jam mattered in the nineties cause Pearl Jam was a big band for a bunch of years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like when we talk about nineties hip hop, like, yes, there was a migration, mm-hmm. but like there were hip hop artists who were a big deal in 1992 who were still a big deal in 1999. That is not the yeah. case anymore. Um, no, that's so true. They come and go in like months. Yeah. Like, and even what used to be like a summer hit is now a summer artist. Like you, yeah, you think about, absolutely. so um, the Super Bowl halftime show last year uh-huh. was, I think, The weekend, and he did yeah. that weird thing with the mirrors and all that. Yeah, yeah. Except that feels like it was 14 and a half years ago. Like, it, in my mind, he That's played, he played right after Prince played the halftime show in Miami. <laughs> exactly. In like, 1996 or whatever it was. <laughs> right after U2 did it. In, yes. You know. And then Shania Twain was in there somewhere. Like it's yeah, in, yeah. That's that's how fast we move on from popular things. So how do you how do you get into anything if you're constantly keeping up with what the next thing is? Yeah, that's a great point. And like, I think so. I'm I'm reading this book, and the thesis of it is that like the '90s are the last decade to like have a decade. In that, like, if we talk about. Um, like Tupac and we we're, we're, we're talking about him in the context of the nineties and we're talking about him in the context of like the East coast and West coast, you know, rap battles and guys dissing each other on tracks and then sometimes shooting each other. And, you know, like all of that is a very nineties motif. But if you were to tell me that like Taylor Swift released all too well in 2002 or if you were to tell me that she released All Too Well in 2017, I would believe both things. And I would have no reason to not believe both things. You know what I mean? Because there's no sort of uh, beginning and end to decades anymore. Um, it, it's it's all just kind of a mishmash to me. Um, so yeah, as a result, I don't see... People don't sit with an artist or even with a genre or anything long enough to be passionate about it. You know, um, like if you're lucky, you catch the weekend at some show and then, yeah, a year and a half later, nobody's talking about that artist anymore. Yeah. And, 
and it's yeah, and it's uh, it. I'm trying to think how to say it. like you think of, you think historically. So think back to the last century and the distinctions of decades in our minds. Looking back, you know, mm-hmm. the 1910s don't look like much to me in my mind. Yeah. The 1920s do. You know, you got the Roaring Twenties, yeah. then you got then you got the Thirties. So it was you know you had the crash in 29, and then there was the depression. The 1940s was coming out of the depression into world yep. war two. And then there was the boom. And then the fifties was kind of the like establishment of the American dream. Yeah. Also, also the rise of the civil rights movie. You get the sixties when everything was disrupted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything from like free love to, to the civil rights movement and, and turning all this stuff over. You got the seventies, which was kind of a like po like a hangover from the sixties. Not quite sure what to yeah. do. Uh, a bit depressed. The eighties, there was so much um, technological and and economic kind of upheaval, and then you get to the nineties, yeah. and it's like it's kind of a thriving kind of thing where there's, you know, economically we're good, artistically there's so much happening and all this stuff, and then you get to the two thousands, yeah. and and the rate of change doesn't slow down, but it fragments. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to label trends. It seems like, and you know, and then the twenty. So you get the, the, the 2010s and then now the or the, the 2000s, then the 2010s, and now we're into the 2020s. I I don't know what – yeah, like it, what is a historian 100 years from now going to look back and say about our trends? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and how product comes out anymore has totally changed that. And like th- this book makes the argument that there's – there are very few like monocultural moments anymore. Like moments like – um the OJ Simpson Bronco chase where like everybody's watching it together. Everybody remembers where they were or even like a random episode of Seinfeld that airs on a Thursday night. Like more people watched some random season four Seinfeld episode than watched the finale of game of Thrones. Yeah. Just like numbers wise. But we, we think about those like the game of Thrones prestige TV moment as like the, the big monocultural people coming together but it's like yeah. yeah it's really not even that many people you know well yeah i mean um, the, yeah the like the this the a season finale of seinfeld in the mid 90s would have drawn like 60 million people or something like that yeah, which at, which yeah. at the time was a third of the country yeah and and I now remember when, yeah, like game of like thrones the, live probably got like, like a great a great viewing would be like four to seven million or something like that Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember when Seinfeld, the series, like the whole thing ended, I was living in Indianapolis, working for a radio station, like hoping we didn't have an event that I had to work so that I could actually watch the show. Right. Like it was really important to see it because if I didn't see it, I was screwed until the next summer when reruns started to come out. Like I, you know, back then, if you didn't see something, you didn't see it. And, um, you know, I just think, so many things are different, which I, I think is maybe why the David Brooks piece was like momentarily charming. It seemed like a little bit of that monoculture energy where it's like, okay, for like a day and a half, it's game on with this thing. And I know if something gets to me, then it's gotten to everybody else already. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, if this has gotten to me, that means the everybody's Express finally made this. it to Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. The the Western Union telegram, you know, made it to my doorstep and I'm uh, I'm experiencing this thing. But um Pipe, this has been fascinating. 
my question to you at this point is do we want to wrap it and then do a patreon or yeah, why don't we wrap it? I feel like if we go anywhere from here, we're just yeah. sort of like changing subjects dramatically, and that's fine. But you know, exactly. say, let's save those for a future episode. Thirty-five minutes of solid radio, I can live with that. Pipe, yeah. we've uh, we've done what we always do on this program, which is drag a David Brooks story that everybody else was done either dragging or celebrating three weeks ago. We're nothing if not timely on this program, um, and we talked a little '90s, which I always love to do. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinise Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at LifeAudio.com.